0: This is episode eight of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore Events Podcast. We're continuing our most recent event, Winter Youth Celebration 2018. The theme was become Romans 6, 17-18. Here is session three from the Axis team.
1: I like those woos over there. Wow, this is exciting. All right, so I'm super excited um, and sad. I have mixed feelings right now. I'm excited because you guys did a bunch of service today, and that's kind of what we're going to be talking a little bit about in this session. But I'm also sad because this is our last access session. Oh, that's so sad. Wow, you guys have been so cool though. Loved hanging out with you. Um, as we dive into this first or this beginning part of the session, I want to ask you guys a question. What is one thing that you can't go without? Now you can't say water, you can't say oxygen, because that's obvious, but like what's one of those things that you absolutely need in order to survive? Take a minute and talk about it. (laughs) Does anyone want to share one thing that they can't go without? And if it's really creative, we may or may not have something for very creative answers. Yes, in the back. Friends, I like that one. Yes, guess what you get? A woo Nice. Did you guys see that? That was just in my pocket. It's made for T-shirts. Okay, now you guys are like participating because you know that I don't have any more. But Lexi and, no, nah, Lexi and Jason do. Okay, uh, what about you? Music. Music, okay, okay. Ayo, coming out of nowhere. Huh, let's see. Who seems the most passionate over, oh gosh, yeah. Emotion. I. Lexi has the last T-shirt and I know that she would agree with that. Lexi's very emotional. Aren't we all though? Aren't we all? All right, so we're going to be kind of looking into that and those things that we love and where those lead us because we talked yesterday about how our loves leads, how the things that we really, really value will take us in one direction or another. And we talked about the Shema, which is you should love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your heart, and with all your soul. But that's not where he ends um, he actually Jesus continues on and says the second is this love your neighbor as yourself there is no greater commandment than that and so we are going to look today at what it looks like to truly love your neighbor as yourself
0: when when, when my daughter comes to me and I say hey go, go clean your room she knows better she, she's not gonna come back a couple hours later and say hey dad I memorized what you said to me. You said, go clean your room. You know, what am I gonna say? Oh, good job, that's what I wanted. No, and she's not gonna come to me and say, dad, I can say, go clean your room in Greek. Listen, that's not gonna fly. And and what if she says, you know what? My friends and I, we're gonna gather together and every week we're gonna have a study and we're gonna figure out what it would look like if I cleaned my room. No, none of that's gonna fly. Just go and clean it, she knows that. So why do we think that this type of thinking or this type of talk is gonna work with Jesus? I mean, Jesus was as black and white as you get. He would look at people and he'd say, why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I say? He says that in Luke six forty-six. why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I ask you to do? I mean, why would you call someone your master and then not listen to him, and and he says in Matthew 7:21, he goes, listen, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's only the one who actually does the will of my Father who is in heaven.
2: Oh, guys, I love Francis Chan. He's so good. Um, But it's interesting what he says. You know, when someone tells us, when our parents tell us to clean our rooms or do the dishes, we don't go to them and say, "I've studied what you've said. I learned it in five different languages, right?" Because that's just not—that's not how that works. So why should that be the way it works with God? And yes, we want to study the Word of God, but we also want to make sure we're following the Word of God and actually doing what He commands us. Because if we're calling Him Lord, then we should be doing what he asks of us. So as Kristen said, this presentation is called Spend Yourself. And we're not actually, well, we're not only going to be looking at what it looks like when we spend ourselves for others and other people and follow the commandments of God and actually do what God asks us to do, but we're also going to be kind of looking at what the future might look like or how our futures will change if we change the way that we spend ourselves. Um, And the future can be different things for different people. So, who here still has their workbooks that we gave them yesterday? Every single hand should go up in this room. Oh no. Uh, Do we have any extra workbooks in the back? Yes, no? Um, If not, we have a drawing space in the spend yourself section and you can use your notes section in your other booklet if you don't have a workbook. Uh, But I want you to take a minute to draw what you think the world is going to look like in 2050. That's in uh, 32? 31-ish technically because it's almost 2019. I'm really bad at math, guys. I think it's in like 31 years. Um, So, what's the world going to look like in 31 years? Take a minute to draw it. you I'm seeing some interesting drawings here. I'm seeing no drawings for some people. I saw a robot back there. We're just gonna be attacked and there's gonna be nothing good in this world. Uh, for me, when I think about the future, I get really scared. Because when people talk about the future, they talk about self-driving cars. And the thought of self-driving cars terrifies me. Because if you think about it, yes, it's great that you don't have to sit there and drive and you can take a nap while you're driving, However, they could easily malfunction and drive us all off cliffs. Just saying. Um, so the future can be really scary, right? There's a lot of fear that goes into the future, and I'm not the only one who's afraid of it. Really old men like my grandpa are afraid of it too.
3: My grandkids bought this Nest learning thermostat. Programs itself, connects to their precious phones. I don't like it. Being cool builds character. Walking back and forth to the thermostat builds leg muscles. When the internet's come to life and all these gizmos turn on us, these kids won't be able to run away on those shriveled little calves. Will they love their nest thermostat then? I don't think so.
4: I think that actually was my grandpa. A show of hands. Anybody think I look like that guy? Yes. Okay, you think I look like that guy? Awesome. I sometimes feel like that guy a lot, to be honest, because a lot of times I think about the future, and sometimes I'm like, yeah, it's going to be great, and other times I'm like, I can't even do the adulting thing now, much less in like 20 years. But that's how the the world's going to look. It's either going to be really good or really bad. You see, and for all of us, we kind of have these two ideas. We have one or two ways we think the world is going to look like. And we've talked about before how prophets have tried to predict the future for us, and we all try to predict our own future. But we have prophets in our own time as well that have also thought about this question. What do they think the world is going to look like? And basically, there are two stories for how they think the world will be in about 2050. One is the story of 1984. It's written by George Orwell. It was written in 1948, actually. Uh, the 1984 is a story of no freedom at all, where humanity itself has absolutely no freedom to do whatever they want. They cannot say whatever they want. They can't even think what they want. Absolute control is given to the government or big brother, if you've heard the term. In fact, actually, George Orwell said this. He said, if you want to imagine the future, imagine a boot stamping on the human face forever. He said that's what he thinks the world is going to look like, absolute control with no freedom at all. The other prophecy was given to us in Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. Has anybody read either of these two books? And it was How many of you guys were forced to read these two books? How many of you guys were supposed to read these two books but didn't? OK, one, two honest people, awesome. I'll put myself in that lot. Sparknotes is my friend. Thank you, Sparknotes, for getting my degree. The Brave New World and Aldous Huxley talks about how we have this pill called Soma, what gives us absolute freedom to do whatever we want or experience any pleasure that we want. And so in these two prophecies, we have one where there's no freedom at all, and prophecy number two, we have absolute freedom. And we want you guys to ask yourselves this question. Whose prophecy do you think came true? In fact, we want you to discuss it with your friends, and I'm going to be coming around and asking. So talk about it amongst yourselves for about a minute. Ready, go.
5: I need it
4: Two hands, we have freedom is absolute delusion. That's the freedom, uh, uh, that's the uh, 1984. But then others is freedom is our reality. That's the brave new world. How many of you guys think freedom is a reality for everyone? Raise your hands. Ooh. How many of you guys don't think we have any freedom at all? Raise your hands. That freedom is an illusion. Okay. Interesting, interesting. I appreciate this perspective because you guys are realizing, some of us, Atley for one, told us that it really depends on where you live. Because the truth is that we actually have a third prophet, a little bit closer to our own time. Her name is Suzanne Collins. You might be familiar with the name. She said that neither of these two guys got it right. That in reality, depending on where we live, depends on how much freedom we have. And so she told a third story, a story with, well, that included both. Beginning with the districts, you had the poverty districts, the ones that, actually, it's like Old North End out here. It's place where nobody really knows where they're going to get their next meal from, where they all have to band together. and Any freedom that they do have is spent on merely trying to survive. They have poor education, which leads oftentimes to poor jobs. They lead to poor jobs. That means they can't really pay for the medical bills. Poor health. Keeps, it's a cycle. It keeps them stuck. But then the other half of the world that she described was a little bit better. It was known as the capital. This one might be a little bit more familiar to us. This was the idea where they had all the freedom they wanted, and so they used it to make things like pink dogs, and goofy makeup, and a- excess. You know, one part of the movie, um, PETA is trying to drink, from, drink something, and they say, hey, you know, drink this. It'll allow you to throw up so that you can take in more. Uh, this is the world that we live in. It's the one that says, hey, as long as you have more, well, that'll lead to happiness. But this is basically these two stories of the world. This is the districts and the capital.
2: So let's take a look at what the districts kind of look like maybe in our world today. So the districts are in a involuntary slavery. Now you're probably thinking, okay, Lexi, all slavery is involuntary. Well, that's not exactly true and we'll talk about that later. So this slavery, they're in a slavery to scarcity, a scarcity where they don't have access to anything. And what does this look like in our world today? Well, 1.2 billion people are living in an impoverished society. Impoverished means that they are living on $2 or less per day. That's less than I spend on my coffee. That's less than I spend on my Dutch Bros this morning. Um, And this 1.2 billion is the equivalent of four United States of America's. So if you take everybody who lives in the United States today, multiply that by four, that's how many people are living on less than $2 per day. And as Jason said, when they're in this slavery to scarcity, they're in this never-ending cycle. It doesn't end for them. So they have a poor income, right? They're living on less than $2 a day, which means their way of life, their lifestyle is really unhealthy. They get sick a lot because they can't eat the proper foods, they can't have the proper nutrition, proper medication. Maybe they don't even have health insurance, so they can't afford to go to the doctor. And so when their health and their lifestyle deteriorates, they're not able to go to school as much, or they can't afford to pay for school. A lot of countries, different countries in the U.S., you have to pay for uniforms, and you can't go to the school if you don't have that uniform. But if you can't afford it or you can't afford the transportation to get there, then you can't go to school. And if you don't go to school and you have a poor education, probably not going to get a job because people usually aren't going to hire someone who didn't graduate from high school or college, let alone elementary school, right? If you have that poor education, you have less opportunities for jobs. And so if you have less opportunity for jobs, you have less income, and so the cycle starts all over again. Now, what does this look like in a deeper level, on a day-to-day basis within our world? Well, 15% of the current world lives without electricity. 15% of the people in this world live in complete darkness every single day. They don't have any electricity whatsoever. And one-tenth or 10% of our world lives without clean drinking water. So you have these 10 glasses here, and every one-tenth of them is filled with this disgusting brown water. Now, I know I would not be able to survive on that because I'm very picky about my water. I can taste when it's unfiltered or not. Um, And I would not be able to survive on that. But that is what 10% of our world is living with.
1: They're also sick a lot. Um, about 160 days, someone who, every single year, someone who is living in poverty is sick. And so if we take a look at a calendar, this would mean that they are sick about five months out of every single year. So that means they miss five months of school or five months of work or whatever that might look like. And you might be sitting there thinking, like, okay, cool, missing five months of school. Sweet, let's do it. Well, it's not as great when you think about that if you miss 5 months of school every single year, by the time you're 23, you'll have the education of a 6th grader. And so this idea that like we can't progress if there's no education because we're sick all the time, this this cycle is just never ending. And so this group of people ends up being enslaved to scarcity and they're surrounded by these four different areas of disease, injustice, hunger and fear. And this is something that runs their life because that's they can't get out of it. They're constantly in that cycle. But fortunately, God loves the poor. And the, Bible are, the poor are mentioned in the Bible over 2,000 times, which really shows God's heart for those who are in poverty. And so this cycle that we looked at of having poor income, poor health and living, poor education, poor opportunities... God says that the poor in spirit are blessed. And in Matthew, Jesus mentions, um, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so this, this verse can kind of get confusing of like, okay, so does that mean that I have to be poor in order to get into heaven? No, that's not at all what he is saying. But rather, those that are poor have a greater dependency on God because they, that's all they have. They have God to get them through. And that's something that I experienced my senior, after my senior year of high school. I went on a mission trip to Swaziland, Africa with my church. And when I was there, we went to these home visits where we got to meet people in the community, see their home, and pray for them. And at one of the houses we went to, they lived in a hut that was about the size of, like, this section of chairs. And for them, that was pretty big. And they had about seven people living in the house. You could see that there was one bed. And in that hut, you could see every single thing that they owned. And it just broke my heart to think, like, I brought this suitcase for two weeks in Africa that has more clothes than they will ever have. And that just absolutely blew my mind. But what was so amazing was they loved God more than anyone I had ever met before. They were so dependent on Him to provide them with what they needed. And I think that we can really learn a lot through that of our dependency. Are we depending more on our things, or are we depending on God to get us through? Um, and so we need to remember that God says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And for that reason, we need to have a relationship with them. We need to be able to serve them in the best way possible.
2: So now let's take a look at what the capital looks like in our world today. And again, the capital is all about all of the extravagant excess stuff. And we talked about earlier about how not all slavery is voluntary. And that's true, because in the capital, they are willingly in a slavery to comfort. Slavery to things that make us happy, make us comfortable, and we don't wanna go outside of that comfort. And within that slavery to comfort, We are enslaved to things like consumerism, and pleasure, and success, and we want the top of it all. And we don't care if there are people who don't have that, because at least we do. So let's take a look at what a slavery to consumerism looks like in our world today. So this looks like 53% of millennials, which are people our age, who say that they would rather have their smartphone than their sense of smell so this half of the room has their smartphones yeah you have the newest iphone congratulations so this side of the room you have your sense of smell you can taste all the wonderful ice cream and pizza that you could ever want but you have a really crappy flip phone that doesn't take pictures and can only make phone calls you can't even text on it but you can eat pizza and enjoy it. You guys, you can take pictures of all the food you want, but you can't taste it. That's what 53% of millennials want. They would rather have their smartphone and be able to take Instagram pictures of their pizza than be able to taste it. And that's really sad, because pizza's really great. Um, But this slavery to consumerism means we want the best of everything, and we want access to everything. Whether it looks ridiculous or not.
5: An accessory that allows you to maintain the look of a traditional wristwatch while benefiting from the Apple Watch technology. This is the Duo.
1: Various invention of like a smartwatch as well as a regular watch, but. Really, this makes sense. I understand why 53% of millennials would rather have their smartphone than their sense of smell. Like, I would probably sometimes rather have my smartphone than my sense of smell because our smartphones, they can do a lot for us. What can they do? Well... They can text, clock, calendar, games, uh, calculator, addresses, credit cards, maps, notes, music, movies, social media, shopping, dictionary, encyclopedia, ruler, unit conversion, carpentry tool, translator, video chatting, voicemail, flashlight, Uber, books, TiVo, movie rental, surveillance, remote ignition, data security, airline tickets, mix and record music, radio, phone book, coupons, dating, clock in, clock out, gift cards, (gasps) Google search camera, track fitness, email bank, weather stocks, word processing, presentations, insurance, metronome Tune in our cookbooks, newspaper, magazines, Bible, porn, teacher, heart rate monitor, TV remote, photo editing, make sales, track inventory, receive donations, survival guide for the zombie apocalypse, to diagnose symptoms, find friends, TV, QR barcode scanner, order food, movie show times, your lost stuff will be found in a dog whistle. Thank you. That's all the things your phone can do. Wow. But we were missing something. Your phone, it can also, it can make calls. I don't know if you guys knew that. I sometimes forget because I'll get a call and I'm like, what is happening? Oh. Hi, Mom, how's it going? Who calls anymore? So there's so many things that we can do with that, and that sounds really awesome, but it tends to feed this consumer mindset of we need to have it all, all the time. And one way that that's kind of been introduced to us is at a really young age, kids are now starting to get this idea of having everything at their fingertips. So this is a fun little toy for kiddos to play with where your phone won't get destroyed, but now the kid knows what a nose is. That's pretty fun. Um, So that's a new invention that we have for kids, but we also have more. Uh, This is the swipe and wipe. Uh Uh-huh. That's gross, isn't it? Yikes. No thank you. But if you think about it, like if you're a parent teaching your kid how to use the bathroom, like they have to sit there for a while, and instead of like having them read a book or something, this makes a lot of sense because they can just sit on an iPad and play a game. That's awesome. But we also have this little thing. This is called the iNap. So if your baby's being fussy, you can just put them in their little chair, put them right in front of an iPad, and set them on their way. And so I- these make a lot of sense. This seems like a really easy, quick fix, but it's creating. and. It, just this world that we're living in now, has what's called digital natives, where most of the people from the past, um, they would be considered immigrants because they didn't necessarily have all of this digital, all of these digital resources. They've had to learn them. They've had to come into this world. But most of you guys, and most of the younger groups of kids, you guys have always had this. And it's a really awesome resource that we have, a really awesome way to be able to use this. But it is it's starting to change the way that we connect with people. And we talked a little bit about this in Alone Together. We, as a generation of people, are the most connected that we will ever be. We are able to connect with anyone at any instant to be able to talk to them about anything. But we are also the most lonely generation. We are constantly surrounded by people while at the same time feeling completely alone. And if you talk to like a lot of people that have tons of Instagram followers or they have a really popular YouTube channel, most of them will say that they have this community of people supporting them, but through all of that, they feel alone. And I know that the more likes I get, the more followers I get, I think that that's going to take me to that place that fills me with contentment, but I always end up feeling more and more lonely than I did before.
4: Because Hobart Maurer was one time the president of the American Psychological Association And just before he died, or rather committed suicide, he said that we are in the high noon of progress, yet the specter of loneliness haunts us still. Because we've given ourselves the ability to call ourselves sick rather than sinful, we have become slaves to pleasure. That was his assessment of the American youth. Just before he died and committed suicide, he saw no hope in it. But he wasn't the only one that recognizes this. You guys might know the name of Philip Hoffman. You might recognize his face better than you know his name. If you've seen the Hunger Games movies, he was actually on set as one of the main characters. And just before he also overdosed, he actually sent out a tweet that said, I am at the height of my career. There is no going down for me from here. Which is interesting, because if that's true, then why did he say this in a PBS interview?
3: I, I would definitely say pleasure is not happiness because I think you, I kill pleasure. Like, like I take too much of it and therefore make it unpleasurable, like, like too much coffee and you're miserable, you know, and, and that I do that to pleasure often, you know, and so I don't I, I think don't, like, yeah. there is no pleasure that I haven't actually made myself sick on.
4: There's no pleasure that I haven't actually made myself sick on. He said that, that I have killed my own happiness. I want you guys to think back when we first started talking about the grand er- narrative of scripture. At the beginning, we talked about the Garden of Eden, how Adam and Eve had literally everything they could want. Anything they wanted to see, anything they wanted to eat, anything they wanted to do, anything they wanted to be. It was all theirs for the taking. The world was literally theirs. God says, go and take it. Have all the pleasures you can imagine. And they took the one thing that they couldn't. And we, with our technology, have kind of created that same scenario. I mean, depending on how I press the buttons on my phone, I can have a pizza show up at my door. That's awesome. But... How often do I use it for other things? What else can I use it for that would actually be benefiting my neighbor rather than just benefiting myself? I mean, with Netflix, I can be entertained for hours. With YouTube, I can learn almost anything. With Google, I can know anything I want. With Google Play, I can entertain myself for hours and hours on end. It's like I've recreated the Garden of Eden, yet with that same temptation, it says, just don't go this one place. And how often do we actually enjoy that, going to that one place? We look up things that we know we shouldn't, We visit porn sites, Pornhub, xxxvideos.com. We spend most of our time chasing after things that we know are ultimately harming us, and then we hide from them because we feel shame afterwards, just like Adam and Eve. God comes after us and says, where are you? Where are you? And yet we spend our time trying to hide from Him, cover ourselves with our self-righteous fig leaves, our Louis Vuitton, our Gucci. We try to hide it behind these labels as if we haven't really actually are all the same underneath. And guys... 64% of us in this room right now are addicted to pornography, according to the stats. Girls, 34% of you are addicted to pornography. Youth pastors, 42%. The stats are against us. The church is really no different than the rest of the world, that we constantly spend all of our time with this. And I don't say this to your shame. I say this to tell you that you are not alone. Guys, this is a struggle that I know firsthand. I traveled with the whole team last year. We all struggled with it firsthand, something that we all had to hold each other accountable. But guys, a three chord bond is not easily broken. And if you are struggling with something like that, you can come talk to me. You can come talk to Kristen. You can come talk to Lexi. We'll actually walk with you and begin to help you find somebody that can actually walk with you through this process and so you can find freedom. But why would you want to find freedom from this to begin with? Well, porn is linked to anxiety. It's linked to antisocial behavior. It's linked to low self-esteem. It's linked to a loss of appetite. It's linked to cognit- a lack of cognitive functions. Here's something that actually fascinates me as a psychology major. When you, study, when you actually study the effects of porn on the brain, the parts of the brain that's responsible for memory shrink. The parts of the brain that's responsible for pleasure grow, the sizes that they never sh- were never intended to be to begin with. In other words, it's costing you your memories, your childhood literally is being erased every time we watch a video. It's destroying our humanity, literally. Your freedom is literally on the other side of conquering this temptation. Guys, it's your life. What do you want from this? And I can tell you guys firsthand that the degree that you struggle with this, to the degree that you fight against this temptation, is to the same degree that you're going to discover a God who is on the other side saying, my child, I am going to fight for you. I want you to be free. I designed you to be greater than this. I designed that you to do great things. I designed for you to love and be loved by somebody and be loving other people, and yet this was not what I intended you to be. This is not what I intended for you. And this temptation is something that he doesn't want you to wrestle with for the rest of your life. And if you don't come clean with it, you will, and the rest of your life is ahead of you. What are you going to do about it? I ask that you guys just come talk to me. I won't shame you. The first thing I'll say is how brave you are for talking to me. The second thing I'll do is I'll ask you about mentors in your life. Third thing I'll do, I will help you find the resources necessary to fight against the temptation and take your life back, but it's up to you to take that first step. Guys, these things hide in the darkness. They love it. Expose it to the light because that's where life truly is, and if you want life, then step into the light with me. I have made that step with about a dozen other friends so far, and we have found free from this and we have found that we have experienced more joy, more peace, more happiness than we ever thought imaginable and we love with an outright righteous kind of love that we have yet to, to, yet to see in anybody else your marriage, your career the one that you love the most is waiting for you to do that, take that step with us, Just step into the light with us guys, I ask that you do that with me
1: so our slavery to pleasure is clearly not working for us Constantly thinking that this thing, this next step is going to make me happy, leaves us broken. And how do I know that? How do we know that? Well, Brene Brown says that we are the most in-debt, obese, addicted, and medicated adult cohort in U.S. history. The more pleasure we have, the more access we're starting to have to anything, which would sound like the greatest thing ever, the more disappointed it only ends up leaving us. And in the moment, it might seem like an awesome satisfaction, but it doesn't last long term. And I think that we just, we have this excess. We have so much that we don't even know what to do with it. And this can be seen in our waste. We throw out 40% of the food that we have. In this entire country, 40% of the food that is here will be just tossed out because it won't be eaten. And then we look back at at the districts and we see people who are living in poverty that don't have any access to food. So we have all of this and we just say, you know what? I don't need it. I don't need that at all. And Peeta and Katniss kind of experience this in the Hunger Games.
5: I want a piece. They have to find. No, I can't even thing here. What's this? It's for when you're full.
0: It makes you sick. So you can go on eating.
5: How else could you taste everything?
1: So they say it makes you sick so that you can go on eating so we have this little potion for you and for them this is probably very overwhelming they lived in a place where they didn't really have access to food and then they go out and they're like oh you have all of this extravagant food but your stomachs are only so big so what are we going to do we're going to give you a potion and you'll just take it and then you'll be able to eat again and like we don't really have that but I'm curious, like, how much of that kind of sounds nice? Like, oh, there's all of this great food. I want to be able to keep eating it. We're not kind of living food to its purpose of giving us nourishment and being able to carry on with that. Instead, we want to just feed ourselves and feed ourselves until we become sick. So this excess isn't working. It's not helping us. And if it was, this number would be way smaller. We have almost 45,000 suicides a year. And guys, I've experienced this firsthand. I went to a school where it looked like we had it all together. We were successful. Everybody seemed like they had the perfect life. But in about a year span, there were three students at my high school that committed suicide. Students that seemed to have it all together, that had the perfect life, that had all the greatest friends. They didn't feel that that was enough. And that shouldn't be the case. And not only that, but we as a community should be able to see our brothers and our sisters who are struggling because Christ created us for community. We need to come alongside people and and walk with them in this journey because I'm sure that this is due to loneliness, to feeling isolation, and to feeling like what we have is not good enough. Because, guys, we, we we have some amazing things. We have some amazing people, and you guys are amazing people and I would love to just see a community come together and support one another because this number this number needs to be smaller. This number should be zero. So what can we do to come alongside those that are struggling and encourage them in that?
4: Because if this number is so high, why, maybe we should start asking ourselves a question. What are we slaves to that's actually keeping us behind? Is it really our success? And, and who is giving us this message of success? I mean, what does this message actually look like? I mean, most of us have bought into the lie that to be happy, well, first of all, we're born. And that's nothing. I mean, congratulations, you did it. Or rather, you didn't do it. Somebody else did it for you. But you're born. Then you go to school. Why do you go to school? Because you have to get good grades. Why do you have to get good grades? Because then you have to go to, uh, go to college. Why do you have to go to college? Because you have to get a good job. Why do you have to get a good, go get a good job? Because you have to have kids. Why do you have to have kids? Because that's what everybody does. You want to buy that SUV, you want to get the mortgage, you want to have the kids, you want to actually get the raise so that you can then support the kids because, guys, we are expensive. And then you want to get that 401k so that you can retire and go off the rest of your life away. So you spend your entire life for the last five years of it to spend on yourself. And that is what we call the American dream. And we spend our entire lives climbing this ladder of success on the wrong wall. And as we're climbing those rungs of the ladder, we actually realize that we're missing Jesus because he is on the way down.
3: I've got to get in the right company. I've got to climb the corporate ladder. Man, I have to. If you're an academic, you've got to publish the right number of books and get the right speaking. You've got to do all this stuff. And you keep climbing all the way up. And the rest of your life is simply one big climb. HERE'S THE SECRET OF THE CRUCIFORM LIFE. WHILE YOU'RE CLIMBING THIS LADDER, AND YOU THINK YOU'LL FIND JESUS SOMEWHERE AT THE TOP, YOU'RE GOING TO PASS JESUS ON YOUR WAY UP, BECAUSE HE'S CLIMBING DOWN. YOU ARE GOING TO ASCEND, THINKING THAT HE'S UP THERE, AND HE'S BEEN DESCENDING ALL ALONG BECAUSE HE WANTS TO BE A DULOS, A SLAVE AT THE BOTTOM. THAT'S INCREDIBLE discipleship is found in dissent. And the choices of dissent are hard and courageous. That is what Jesus is calling to us to, and nothing less.
4: It's the upside-down life, right? Like, it's the first will be last, and the last will be first. It's the, if you want to gain your life, you have to lose it. If you want to lose your life, well, spend it on yourself, because that's the only option that we have. I mean, you really do have two options. You realize that, right? Spend yourself on others or spend others on yourself. And many times we choose the latter because we miss the opportunity. We miss the vision of what the good life is all about. Guys, I'm not trying to say that your life is going to be miserable. I'm literally telling you that by doing this, by humbling yourself, you will be exalted. You experience more joy, more contentment, more real life than you've ever experienced up to this point. You say, I just want to be happy. Well, here it is. Humble yourself. And then the God of the universe himself will exalt you. Because the slavery to comfort is not working. It's this prison of our own making. It's this self-focused prison that we're created with ourselves with four walls. Those four walls are essentially comfort, pleasure, status, and possessions. The more we try to get, the less we actually have. The more we actually think we have, the less we realize we do. And if you want to actually think about it, we're not even the only ones realizing this. Like, if you talk to people, guys, I've met people that are all the way up to the top. I came from Nashville, talked with a singer. You actually know her name is Lauren Daigle. All right, she says that once you climb to the top, you realize that there's nothing there. That then everybody's actually trying to get to your status where you are, but it's actually an empty place to be because then you don't actually know who your friends are. You don't know who you are. And maintaining your identity, maintaining your family, maintaining the real you at the top of that ladder isn't actually helping. And she said that she has so many other friends that are actually also in that same battle with her. That we're all trying to climb to the top. We're all trying to get more things. We're all trying to be happy by getting up there. But even the people up there are recognizing that this is crazy. That it's actually, well, we're living our lives in a bubble that's not actually bringing us satisfaction. (laughs) Okay. Qu- <laughs> heard that song on Black Friday, and I thought it was really ironic. <laughs> uh, more of that later. But if you actually want to compare these two worlds, these two stores that we've talked about so far, I mean, guys, I keep on my right hand a ring. On the inside of that ring is the words Matthew 16:26. What is the profit of man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Because this is something that I actually, it's close to my heart. So to be honest, I had everything that I wanted at 19 years old. Guys, it's a scary world when you get everything you want at 19 years old. You realize that maybe the dreams of the good life are a little bit lower standards than I had thought they were. I had to elevate my standards. I had to dream bigger, see a bigger vision for what was actually the good life was all about. Because I found that I had a desire that nothing in this world can meet. And if I have a desire which nothing in this world can meet, then that must mean that this is a place where my hope should not be. And I had to wake up, dream bigger. But we want to compare these two worlds and we see that, on the one hand, we've got the world of the poverty, the districts, the 1984. This is the story that we've been telling, where, yeah, it's a slavery to scarcity, where your identity is as a victim of oppression. And it's stuck in a cycle, it's stuck in a cycle of poor education and poor health and uh, poor opportunities, and eventually we want to try to escape this cycle, but how? Because on the other side, Brave New World is the capital a slavery to self-focus, it's really not any better. They're also stuck in a cycle where you try to achieve more, you try to get more things and then getting more things just leaves you empty so you try to replace that emptiness with more things which ultimately just leaves you stuck in an endless cycle again. These two worlds are both stuck on a broken cycle. We're trusting in broken systems to fix what's broken in us. One leads to external slavery, the other leads to internal slavery. One sends us to prisons on the outside, one is a prison on the inside. But what do we do? How do we find a solution? What do you guys think we should fix first? Because we can't just fix one without fixing the other. We have to focus on one. There's something that we have to do. So I want you guys to discuss it for yourselves. How do you find world peace? Go.
2: So, by show of hands, how many of you think we should fix the districts first? One? Like maybe two? Uh, okay, maybe three then. Um, the capital. Okay, how many of you just don't really care? Usually we have a lot of hands go up. I'm impressed, maybe you're just all liars. Um, so, this can be a tricky question to ask, it can be a tricky question to answer, and you're probably sitting here thinking, okay, this sounds great. I'd love to fix the districts, I'd love to fix the capital, I'd love to have world peace. But I'm just a high school student. I'm just here in living in Oregon, or Washington, or Idaho, or wherever you're from, and I'm just, I'm just trying to get through school. Just trying to get through high school, just trying to get good grades and live the American dream, you know? I wasn't wasn't made for this. I I'm not, you know, strong enough to fix all that's wrong in the world. I don't think that could ever be possible. I'm not equipped for that. I'm not old enough to make any difference. I'm not powerful enough to make any difference. That's not that's not really what I want to do. That's not the career I'm shooting for. I'm not necessarily striving for world peace at the moment. just trying to get through high school. I get it. I don't feel like I'm equipped either. I don't even feel like I'm equipped to do this job right now. I shouldn't be standing in front of you right now. But for some reason, God has me here. Because the purpose that God intended us for was not Homo incurvatus Sensei. That was said by Augustine, emphatically emphasized by Martin Luther. Mankind is incurved on itself. That's not what God intended, but when the fall happened and everything became cursed, we became curved in on ourselves. But that's not what God intended. And we misuse the purpose that God actually intended us for. So I'm gonna give a really cheesy example of this because I love cheesy examples and I love all the cheese. So, Kristen and I are gonna do a doubles ping pong tournament because we love ping pong, we're so good at it. I'm not good at it, I have no idea if Kristen is, um, but we love ping pong. So we're, we're getting ready for this tournament and we're waiting for our competitors to show up and we go into the closet where the ping-pong paddles are held, and we realize that someone stole all but one of the ping-pong paddles. And you can't really play a doubles ping-pong tournament with only one ping-pong paddle. So I decide, being the gracious person that I am, that she can use the ping-pong paddle. I'll just use something else. So I decide, to go through my backpack, and I find something that I will use as my ping pong paddle. I'll use the MacBook Air that I, we bring on every trip, and I'll use that as my ping pong paddle, because it's a nice flat surface, it's small, it's easy to kind of swing, and it would make a great ping pong paddle. So, we're getting warmed up, we're doing our exercises, our stretches, and then our competitors walk in, and they look like this. <laughs>
0: Daliban, Well,
2: first of all, we'd be creamed, and second of all, So would the MacBook Pro. Um, But that's kind of a cheesy example of what it looks like when we try to use our lives for the purpose God didn't intend us for, right? So we we have the ping pong paddle over here that's literally only used as a ping pong paddle to hit a ball back and forth across the table. That's all it's used for. And that is a picture of us incurved on ourselves not spending ourselves for other people, and not living up to the purpose that God intended. Then we have the MacBook Pro, which has all of these amazing capabilities and was built to do amazing things that humans can't do on their own. And it was made for so much more. So when you take this thing that was made for so much more, and bring it down to a level of just hitting a ball back and forth across the table, you're completely depleting the purpose of that MacBook Pro. And that's what it looks like when we take away the purpose that God intended for us. Now you're thinking, wow, that just got really deep. But it's true. That's what that looks like. You were made for so much more than you're expecting of yourself. Yes, none of us are equipped. But as the saying goes, God doesn't call the equips. He equips the called. He says, I made you for more than just sitting around trying to get good grades and get into a good college and have a 401k and golf for the rest of your life. I made you for more. I made you to spend yourself for other people. I made you... To use your life as a sacrifice, as a living sacrifice for me. Because that's what I did for you. That's what he did for us on the cross. So, the next time you say, I'm just a high school student, I don't have enough power, I'm not equipped for this. This isn't what I want to do with my life. I don't feel that I should be here. I want you to find a mirror, and I want you to look in that mirror and say, you are a MacBook Pro, and you were made for greater. You were not created to live a simple life. You were created to offer your life as a living sacrifice. So I want everybody to stand up right now. And I want you to say to yourself until you believe it, say, I am a MacBook Pro. And I know it sounds stupid. I am a MacBook Pro and I was made for greater. I want to hear it. I am a MacBook Pro and I was made for greater. Okay, everybody quiet. Quiet. Shh. Okay, now I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you are a MacBook Pro and you were made for greater. All right, everybody sit down. Have a seat, have a seat. You guys right here, you're all MacBook Pros, and you were made for greater. You guys are MacBook Pros, and you were made for greater. You are MacBook Pros, and you were made for greater. You guys back there, You guys are all MacBook Pros and you were made for so much greater. You guys are MacBook Pros and you were made for greater. You all are MacBook Pros and you were made for greater. You guys are MacBook Pros and you were made for greater. I am a MacBook Pro and I was made for greater. So, when you're feeling down on yourself, when you're feeling insecure, I want you to find a mirror and say, you, sir, you, ma'am, are a MacBook Pro, and you were made for greater, and then walk away with all the confidence you got, because that's what God created you for, was to be a MacBook Pro. He created you for a greater purpose. He created you for that greater purpose to lead others to Him, to Himself. So we could seek towards this ultimate renewal. We've been talking about this biblical narrative. Act 1, everything was created. Act 2, everything became cursed. Act 3 was the promise. Act 4, Jesus came and died for our sins. And Act 5 is ultimate renewal. And in Revelation 21, it talks about this ultimate renewal. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and he who was seated on the throne said behold i am making all things new what a wonderful thing to rejoice in that is what we have to look forward to when we are living for our greater purpose when we are striving to bring people to jesus and say you were made for a greater purpose And that purpose is looking forward to this ultimate renewal. And obviously, we're not quite there yet. Jesus has come the first time, but he hasn't come the second time. And we're expectantly waiting. And we're in this 4.5 stage of waiting for this renewal and trying to figure out what our lives look like for Jesus and how many other people we can bring to Jesus. And you know what I want to see when that ultimate renewal happens? I want to see each and every single one of your beautiful faces in heaven with Jesus. Just picture it. Every single person in this room. All in heaven before the king of kings worshiping him for eternity. That looks like a pretty good picture to me.
4: And so we actually are created for that 4.5, that, that here and now. Where, as Lexi said, you're right, that we are not equipped yet, but as the cross, Jesus did something absolutely incredible. Not just that he died, but that the veil was ripped and the Spirit escaped, the Spirit of God escaped, and every believer became the dwelling place of the Spirit. That means you and I are each equipped for a purpose, that we are engaged, that we are equipped to do something for the church, to build up the church, to bring about healing. To restore what has been broken. To continue what Jesus started and finished on the cross. He says, I invite you into that with me. Not to add to my work, but to take part in the work. That we complete that which he has already started. And as Isaiah 53 says, we let our light shine like the noonday. We begin to talk and we begin to move into the next world as if this world is not our home, but we're waiting for the next one. Guys, I said it last night that this world, this world is passing away. But the story of Christianity is not about going to heaven when we die. It's about this world becoming the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new earth that has already begun and that it will continue. That the whole world is groaning with eager expectations for the revealing of the true sons and daughters of God. How in the beginning, guys, in the beginning, God gave us a world and says, go and make it what you want it to be. But then we failed in that first purpose. So then he redeemed us, he bought us back, and he said once again, go and make the world what you want it to be. So I want to ask you guys, what do you want the world to look like, because the future is up to you. Let's talk about it for a second. What do you want the world to actually look like? Come after me and talk to me about it, and I will actually help you guys think about that. I will help you find your calling, I will help you talk about your gifts, your passions, what has been confirmed in you by the other church, what is your means and what are your motives? And do those line up with the heart of God? Because typically, the answer is, well, something that we wouldn't have even believed. Isaiah 53 says that we are commanded to let our light shine like the noon day. If we spend ourselves on behalf of the poor, then your light will shine in the darkness, and your noon will become like the noon day. That you will become an example, that you will become hope to the hopeless. But set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. And always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you. But do this with gentleness and respect. That is a command for every believer. Every single one of us are called to be hope to the hopeless. And we have this opportunity to spend our lives. But you say, Jason, how? Like, What am I supposed to do? Because our ability to actually make the future is not linked to what we think we can do. But rather it's linked to how much media and how much time and technology we actually consume. Let's think about that for a minute because I've already said you can either spend yourselves on behalf of the poor or you can spend the poor on your own self. You can spend others on yourself or you can spend yourself on others. That's the only option that we have. The same thing applies with technology. Either technology will shape the future or it will end it. But we are called to be salt and light, right? And salt brings out the best and the greatest of all things, right? So let's do that. Let's be salt and light. So many of you guys ask the questions, you struggle, and I get it, I struggle with this too. Even in my 20s, I'm saying, God, what am I called to do? And then I remember that the answer is pretty simple. I'm like, God, what is your will for my life? And First Thessalonians says, this is God's will for you, your sanctification. That means everything else is permissible. As long as you love God, you do what you please. And that sounds like too much freedom at first, because we're told constantly that the gospel is some good advice telling us how we ought to live. But guys, the gospel is not good advice, it's good news, and it's good news that somebody else has already lived the life that you should have lived so that you can now live free, live the life that he ought to have lived, that Jesus lived the life that you should have lived so that you could live the life that he deserved. And therefore, for Christians, calling does not fundamentally begin with questions about ourselves, but about God. What is God doing in culture? And then we join him in that work. We join him in the process. Our calling is to simply join in to what he is already doing. And guys, God has a huge heart for the poor. And this, this is going to cost you something. In fact, it's going to cost you everything. Jesus says that how many of you guys, when you go to attack an army, would not first count how many people that you have, and then count how many people they have to see if your army can overcome their army. He says, count the cost. Because when we don't count the cost, when we get into the battle, and then we back out, we bring more shame to his name than we ever intended. We bring more shame than honor. But he says that if you let your light shine before good men, that they will bring honor and glory to my God. So guys, count the cost. What are you willing to give up for bringing the good news to the whole world? What are you willing to give up to bring the whole world to resurrection and life?
0: you're out for this this life that's so difficult and you are but you find out that there's actually blessing and you actually find more peace in taking this hard road than going with this wide road that everyone else is gonna go on and Jesus is, just take this take this follow me and you start learning that all the things that he's saying let go of and walk away from those are actually things that we're gonna destroy you anyways Jesus says, if you're going to try to save your life, you're going to end up losing it. But if you lose your life for my sake, then you're going to find it. In other words, if you're going to try to hold on to all these things and try to save every bit of life and everything that brings you pleasure, he goes, you're going to end up losing your life that way. But if you would surrender to me, if you would just trust me, trust that I have something better and let go of everything else, he goes, then you're really going to find life
1: he says trust that i have something better and you're going to have a good life it, which is it's so backwards to us as humans in this perspective that we have like we see these things that make sense like okay i'm going to gain all of this and then inside i'll feel better but but we have to lose in order to gain and that doesn't make sense that's not something that's easy And the only way that we can do that is through leaning into Christ and leaning into what he is calling us to do. And he's calling all of us to something different. None of your guys' lives are going to look the same, and that's good. It's good that the way that we're spending ourselves are going to look different. And so I could tell you guys, get involved in this organization, find this for yourself, but you each individually have the opportunity to be able to go out and find what's best for you, the best way for you to be able to serve those around you. And it might seem scary, giving up your time, your energy, sometimes even your money, it it can be really fearful because we, we don't have it all, but Christ says that we will gain from that. Um, And in Romans 8, it says the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. So we've talked a lot about slavery and being enslaved to this world of, like, excess. And so this says that the spirit that we've received, the Holy Spirit, will not make us slaves. We will not live in fear. But then it continues on and says, rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. We have a father that wants us to love him and to love others. And he wants us to live out our full intended purpose like what Lexi was saying. And so you guys probably remember at the very beginning, we said that all of these advertisements in the world that we're living in is telling us this one message to be our authentic self. We need to be true to ourselves, be true to who we are and you know what? This, this might not necessarily be correct, but rather we need to be true to our redeemed self. God is doing something amazing in us if we let him. If we are willing to give that up to Christ, then we will be able to live our full abundant life, to live a life of flourishing that Christ called us to. And it won't be easy. It's so backwards from anything that we've ever been told before, but guys, it's so good. It's so worth it. It's so much better than the rest that this world has to offer. And so I want to leave you guys thinking, what, what can I do to spend myself? What can I do to help those around me? What can I do to reach out to those that maybe don't have it as good as I do? And so with that, I'm going to close. We're going to have the worship team come up, um, and then we'll go into a time of worship. Hmm. God, you call us to something that doesn't make sense it really doesn't. It's so backwards and different from what the rest of this world is trying to tell us, but God, you have shown us that it is good, and it is worth it, and it is so much better than anything else that this world calls us to, and God, I pray that everyone in this room tonight would be able to know that that's true. And even if right now they don't know that it's true, God, I pray that you would do something in their hearts to know that. And God, in my own heart as well, I pray that you would, just, you would show me and show us what it looks like to live that that fulfilling, that fulfilling life that you call us to. God, I just thank you for this time, and I pray that you would just prepare our hearts as we go into a time of worship.
5: Amen. Let's stand together. As we respond, as we respond, I want to read Ephesians, uh, part of Ephesians 2 for you, that I hope you'll understand as like the sweetness of everything that Axe has been talking about so far. Can we give them a hand and thank them for being with us? <clears throat> Ephesians 2 describes these children of wrath. People under condemnation, bound in their sin, unable to live this free and full life that Jesus has called us to. And then the apostle writes in verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Immeasurable riches of grace in kindness toward us. This is the posture of God. That is good news, that God is is desirous to show grace and kindness to you this this song we're going to sing in some respect responds to that good news as it just celebrates that god is pursuing us with that kindness with that grace and winning us and calling us to this new life in here